Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Trucking 101, surviving your first year with hosts Rick and Melissa Grimm. We'll talk about safety, managing your money, and real life out on the road. Our group has over 100 years of combined real-world driving experience. You've got questions, we've got answers. Hello, and welcome to Trucking 101, surviving your first year. The show that will not only help you survive, but thrive in your first year. My name is Melissa, and I do not have a co-host tonight. Uh, I lost my co-host for the night, so I'm all by myself, but I'm not really because I have a lot of wonderful guests host calling in to help me out with tonight's topic, so I actually have a lot of people with me tonight. Our mission is to find and pass along knowledge to new drivers that will make them the safest drivers on the road and provide a firm stepping stone into a successful career, which is a lot of what this show is actually about tonight. We are going to be talking about the different segments of the trucking industry, and there is a lot. So if you're thinking about being a truck driver right now uh, and you want to know what your choices are when you get into it, you, you, you want to listen to this show. We're going to be talking about as many segments as we can cover. So also, if you're a truck driver and you're a car hauler or an LTL driver or a day cab driver, I have nobody calling in to talk about those segments. So if you want to talk about that segment of the industry, that would be awesome. So press one, and Becky will screen your call, and we'll get you on the show. So this show not only provides advice to new drivers, it is also an outlet for experienced drivers who want to share their knowledge, which I got a lot of that tonight. So if you have a question, a comment, a topic, or a suggestion, press one, and we'll get you on the show. All right, when we, as in Rick and I, got into the trucking industry, the only segment we considered was van because that's all we knew. I mean, if you think about it, the majority of the trucks that you see uh, going down the road, they're vans. That's, that's mostly what's, what's on the road. So that's what most novice people know that don't know anything about the industry. They know vans. But, but actually, I didn't even know it was called a van. When I was in training and I was filling out the form to grade my trainer, it had a little segment on there. It said, okay, what are you pulling? And it had multiple choice. And one of the choices, I didn't, none of the choices applied. And I saw this choice that said van. And I'm like, what's a van? So for those of you that don't know, van is the dry boxes that you see going down the road. Those big uh, 53 foot long square boxes, those are called vans. So there's an education for you. That's something I didn't know before I was a I was a couple weeks into training before I realized that. So that's where we are. Um, sorry, I got a message. So if we had known about all the different choices, uh, we may have made a different one. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I think uh, people, everyone, deserves as much information as possible. So we have some great guests coming on to talk about reefer, intermodal, open deck, and heavy haul. Uh, Rick and I, actually, now that Rick's not on the show, it'll be Russ. Russ and I will cover van, and we still need people to talk about LTL, Curtainside, Conestoga, car hauling, and day jobs. 
Also, uh, household goods and straight junk, if anybody is on that wants to talk about that. If not, um, I actually can provide a pretty good uh, resource uh, later on in the show if we don't get anybody. You can go look it up for yourself. So, first, we're going to bring Russ on. He's going to help me talk about Van, the most well-known part of the industry. Hi, Russ. Uh, Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, the phone sounded weird there for a second. Uh, yeah, oh, okay. I know. I, well, I know a little bit about Van, maybe. <laughs> just a little bit. How long have you been pulling Van? Yeah, just, I've been pulling Van since. Um, well, really started. Well, wasn't doing it full time. It started about 19 years old, and then yeah. full time in 2001, and. Uh, uh, of course, I've done a little bit of in-between. I've pulled a little tanker. I used to train a little bit of tanker, uh, you know, winch truck, uh, hair bit of flatbed. But, yeah, the main thing has been fan that I've done because uh, I, I hate to put it this way, but, you know, I kind of like to be a, a, a lazy truck driver. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. You know, it, it's nice to get out, open the doors, make sure your tandems are in the right spot, and bump a dock and not mm-hmm. have to worry about uh, – uh, you know, doing some other things that uh, everybody else has to do. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Van is actually, in my mind, the easiest segment of the trucking industry. I mean, you just swing in doors and bump a docks. There's not much more than that. I mean, there's a couple of specialty uh, segments like, you know, logistics freight, but mostly it's it's fairly easy. Just about anybody could do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know we covered this on another show, but uh, uh, securement, um you know, here the other day, I I had a couple of stops, and uh, the first stop, uh, after they got me loaded up, I went and I looked at the back of the trailer, and I had room for three pilots, and I'm going, uh, guys, I got another stop. You know, I had told them that when I, you know, when I got to my customer, I said, look, I said, I've got one more stop to pick up. I have no idea how many pilots they have or anything else, so I had room for three. So, you know, I picked up the phone. I called uh, customer service, customer services. Oh, yeah, they only have two pilots. I believe that. Uh, get over there where they had eight. Uh, but of course, before I left there, they uh, the way they had stacked everything, I had uh, I had a little bit of a tough time securing everything. Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, uh, got uh, got some straps out and what have you. Got everything secured. That's that's really the main thing. Uh, you know, in van or I say the main thing. It's one of the main things. You know, make sure that load's not going to move. Um, you know, the flatbed guys, you know, that's that's all they do. They, you know, make sure that load's not going to move. But, you know, we kind of got to do the same thing, make sure it's not going to move backward. And they had everything stacked in there weird. They had some tall pallets in the back. They had some pallets in the front. Now, yeah, I know I'm talking about securement instead of van. But, you, you know, it's something that popped up here the other day that uh, I guess kind of uh, kind of goes along with what we're talking about. But, anyway, the, the other customer ended up having to unload my truck and reload it. And then they got mm-hmm. their product on. So, but uh, and another uh, matter of fact, I used this little trick today. Um, I was at a uh, uh, a big customer. Well, I'll say their name. It was, I was at Nestle, and, and most of the time when I go over to a Nestle, I mean their yards are huge and that, no problem moving a 53 foot trailer around in them. And um, this thing, uh, it was a huge yard, but you had trailers parked right across from you, and I mean you had almost no room. Um, so one thing I do with band, which some of the flat, well, actually not too many other people can do, uh, other than with the band, 
is I was able to actually unhook my tandems. Now, I do not recommend doing this unless you're moving, you know, unless you're using like first gear in reverse. But I actually unhooked my tandems. I slid them all the way forward. I started backing into my tight little hole. And then it doesn't even matter if my truck's straight or not. Once I've got my tandem set, um, I can actually lock that rear brake up. I can slide those tandems on back a little bit. And, uh, you know, it kind of helps me get in the hole with it. So, uh uh, a neat little trick, like I said, do not use it if you're going to move, you know, uh, you know, any other speed. You know, you hit the brakes and those things go flying. Well, they can come actually flying out. Uh, they do have yeah. stop bars there, but, yeah. But anyway, uh, I don't know, you say something about uh, about Van. It's other than it's a lazy man's industry. <laughs> it is. It's a lazy man's industry, and you actually have to work pretty hard to get some exercise if you're going to drive a van. You have to make a... a a considerate effort to do it, but um, it's it's the easiest thing to get into. You go to school, um, and even with some companies, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, most companies make you go to school before they'll hire you, but some smaller companies may not. You know, if you just get your CDL down there at the DMV, they may hire you, you know, without going to school. It depends. The smaller ones may do that still. Uh, obviously the big ones you got to go to school and they, they, they'll even give you a pre-hire before you go to school. As long as you got a clean driving record, um, you're in, I mean, like Kevin likes to say, uh, they'll take just about everybody that'll, anybody that can fog a mirror. If you can fog a mirror, you got the job. And, uh, if you want to get into trucking, that's probably the first place you'll go is in the van. And then if you want to go into more specialized you can work from there. You want to just get your OTR experience in the van, um, and then you can move on to a different segment uh, if you want to from there. But, yeah, like you were saying, the biggest thing with the van is securement. Um, most of the time, it's keeping the stuff from falling backward. If it's stacked high, you want to get your straps up and everything like that. Uh, but the hardest part, and you can go back in anybody that's listening, if you want to talk about securement, if you want to learn about securement, go back and listen to a previous podcast called Load Securement, uh, and we talk mostly about van and about the hardest part of securing freight in a van, which is your heavy stuff that has to be backed off from the front of the trailer to uh, to keep the, the weight right. But you can uh, learn about that in that episode. We won't take up tonight's episode with that stuff. But if you're interested in that, go back to that episode and check it out. Yep, so exactly. um, uh, right, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that's pretty much it when it comes to a van. I mean, it's a lot of sitting. Uh, you don't get a whole lot of exercise, but it is easy, uh, and you, they don't require any prior experience to get into it. So, I mean, there's really not much more to say when it comes to the van. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's actually pretty simple. <laughs> Probably the easiest yeah. thing to get into, really. Yeah, the easiest thing to get so, into. If you want to start and you have absolutely zero experience, you want to start in van and move on from there. Yep, exactly. Because, you know, well, you know, most of the time, uh, the shippers a lot of times do a real good job of, uh, you know, making sure you're secured with airbags or uh, honeycombs or, or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to do other than make sure it doesn't go backwards. <laughs> yep, make sure your make doors sure are closed, make sure... Yeah. Yep. Door uh, close, sure sealed up. Are locked, yep. that, yeah. Yeah. Make sure your tandems are yep. locked because that tends to be an issue. Of course, actually, with the newer trailers, uh, it's almost impossible to get the tandems to unlock. So 
they like to stay locked on the newer trailers, so that's not even much of an issue anymore. Right. Yeah, especially with the air rides. A lot of times with the air rides, if you when you release that um, your trailer brakes, they uh, the pins will automatically pop back out. So. Yep. Exactly. Or at least, yeah, yeah, at least so. that's been yeah, at least that's been in my experience. So. Anyway, yeah, yeah we I think we'll probably beat this horse to death. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's move on to uh, open deck. So thank you, Russ, very much for your help. We're going to move on to open deck. Okay, I'm going to bring on Jason. He's got a lot of experience with uh, open deck. He's going to give us a quick summary and some of the ups and downs when it comes to that segment. Hey, Jason. Hey, good evening. Uh, good to talk to you again. Um, open deck. Yes, this is the uh, segment for people who work for a living. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. It's uh, probably of all the different types of the industries that I've worked in, uh, probably about my favorite. Um, what I'm pulling right now is a step deck. I've got a 51 foot step deck with 10 foot on an upper deck and 41 feet on the lower deck. And, uh, just load whatever will fit on that deck and strap it down or chain it down. Um, as you guys mentioned, uh, the most critical in the open deck is just making sure that you can, cons- uh, secure that freight, that freight properly it's not going to go anywhere it's not going to fall off the trailer um a lot of times that this industry pays a little bit higher than van freight um most of the time you're you know you look at you compare the rates side by side for the same load going the same number of miles most of the time uh open deck or flatbed is going to pay a little bit higher than just your the the same miles and, and route as your van freight. So it's a little bit there, a little bit more right. specialized, a little bit more interesting loads. Instead of just a whole bunch of pallets stacked in there, you get I've hauled everything from jet engines, I've hauled Humvees, I've hauled of course lumber and coils, uh all kinds of different stuff. I mean, you can think of it if it'll fit on that uh that deck. Uh I've probably hauled it. <laughs> You have the possibility with open deck to uh, run wide loads. Um, A lot of times those pay quite a bit more. And uh, then there's a lot of special rules and regulations you have to follow for uh, being permitted for a wide load, different lights and flags. And uh, if it's big enough, you have to have pilot cars to run with you. We've all seen those running down the road. Um, quite an interesting segment. I really like it myself. So, uh, really quick, upsides and downsides of the segment. Uh, what do you think? Well, uh, you're definitely going to get some exercise. If uh, And I don't know if that's an upside or a downside. It depends on how you look at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, definitely get some exercise there. Uh, do have a little bit of work throwing straps and chains and those kind of things, making sure it's all there. Uh, probably pays a little bit more. That would be an upside. Uh, interesting freight. Uh, you're not opening doors and bumping a dock. In fact, I very rarely ever uh, back into a dock at all. Uh, I think a flatbed guy's probably back into it a little bit more. Their trailer's higher. It matches up with the dock a little bit better. So they're going to have a more possibility of being able to back up to it, and then you can drive a forklift on it to load some stuff. 
Um, it happens occasionally with what I do, but not real often. You know, most uh, you meet a lot of a lot of different types of people that get to see a lot of different machinery uh, work around cranes and different types of forklifts that uh, have to load that stuff on there. It, so I'm not sure if I can think of a whole lot of downsides to it personally. Um, I'm not one to complain well, about a lot of stuff. If you're, <laughs> yeah, I would say probably if you're not really into uh, manual labor, you wouldn't like open deck. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not terribly difficult. You, I mean, a lot of loads you have to tarp. Uh, you know, you have that segment of it also so you could climb up on there roll, tar- roll tarps out and, um you make sure those are secured um, that's kind of an art in getting a tarp on properly where it's not going to flop around we've all seen the that guy driving down the road with his tarp <laughs> flapping everywhere and about to fly off and big old holes in him because the freight is poked through it <laughs> and uh ripped a big gash in the side of his tarps and things like that and we've all seen that kind of stuff and there's an art to learning how to put it on properly where you're not going to have that uh kind of a problem uh Mm -hmm. trying to think of other other downsides um that you might have you know it it, and really a lot of these you say an upside or a downside you're going to have those to every segment of the industry but what's a downside to me might be an upside to someone else um, right. Same thing with van and and you know reefer or any other kind of segment that you're going to look at. So yep. uh, open deck stuff, it's uh, it's nice. I like it. I don't I don't not sure a whole lot what else to say specifically about it in general. Um, well, than, you know, um, since we're since we're talking to either prospective drivers or new drivers, uh, I do know from my experience when I was applying to truck schools, there are a lot of trucking companies, flatbed trucking companies, that will take uh, trainees. So that would be an upside. You could go to a flatbed company right out of school. That's true. Um, there's a few of them there. Um, a lot of the ones that I was looking at here more recently when I got into uh, flatbed companies they're looking for folks that have had some experience uh there are a lot of flatbed companies that don't seem to want to take a guy unless he's already been driving a flatbed for a while i don't sometimes i kind of irritate you how do you get a guy experience if nobody if on, if people only want to hire people with experience so <laughs> you got a kind of a catch-22 there um, yeah some of well, that i guess this, this would be a good time for me to talk about this website that i just found uh, I was okay. researching for the show earlier today, and there's a website called everytruckjob.com, and it has just about every segment of the industry, and you could look up minimum requirements and the companies that are currently hiring in your area. So if you are in school, you're getting ready to go to school, um, or you have less than six months of experience, uh, you want to go into Open Deck you can check out this website and see what kind of companies uh, would hire somebody with no experience. And actually there's quite a few. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's good. I'm going to have to check that site out myself. Um, kind of interesting there, but yeah, there's a lot yeah, of companies that'll hire you. Um, that'll hire folks that have, even if they've had van experience in the past, now they're going to move over to this type of industry. They'll, uh, uh, 
carrier that I'm with will uh, send a fella if he qualifies any other way, uh, all the other all, meets all the other requirements, then they will send that that driver to a class to uh, teach them about securement. And then, of course, there's always access to uh, the uh, safety department, and uh, you talk to other drivers and things like that to when you have questions about certain loads or how to secure things. One thing that I found when I was just getting started into it, it was uh, I like to talk to the the guys that are loading me, the shipper. Say, hey, how do they? Uh, how do you want me to strap this down? You know, you can do it in such a way where they don't uh, <laughs> they don't think that you don't know anything. So uh, you ask them, hey, how do they, how do the other guys normally strap this? You know, normally they're more than happy to help you. Say, hey, nor- normally guys put their strap here, here, and here, and then put some over the the this part and they'll help you and there's a lot of other drivers what i did a lot was just pay attention to other trucks driving down the road so there's a load that uh you know looks like i've i may haul in the future how's that how's that strapped down and then after you learn learn a little bit about it and understand a little bit about securement then then you play a little game driving down the road and you see one there and you say does that guy have enough does he have it strapped properly <laughs> and then you try to figure out if it's all secured right or not <laughs> and uh mm-hmm. it's scary that some of the loads that aren't secured properly um you gotta be careful so yeah as in any I part just, of uh, any industry uh, you've got to make sure you do everything properly do it correctly so that you stay safe and things like that yeah, I just want to point out every segment that either requires experience or will train you right out of school. And I know flatbed, at least flatbed, maybe not septic, but there are flatbed companies out there. Now, one more question I wanted to ask you was, do you think a lot of the uh, um, skills that you learn on open deck transfers across all the different trailer types, flatbed, septic, double drop? Is it pretty much all the same? Oh, yes. Um, you're your double drops, your RGN, uh, removable gooseneck trailers, uh, those are the ones you see a lot of times that are a really low boy, like a foot off the de- off the ground, and then uh, they'll be carrying huge excavators or bulldozers and things like that. But a lot of those principles that you learn for any one of those in, uh, types of trailers uh, translate very easily into the other types of trailers. Um, you're, you know, you you start to understand working load limits, uh, what your uh, uh, of each securement device, and then what your trailer can handle, um, the securement points on each trailer, those kind of things, and all of that stuff will transfer back and forth. So, learning it on a flatbed or a step deck, a double drop, an RGN, any of those kind. You know, it's all. That's why I I like to refer to it as open deck rather than just flatbed. Mm-hmm. Because you know right. it's it, it's all that open stuff. And then you mentioned a Conestoga trailer um, earlier, mm-hmm. and uh, most of the time that Conestoga trailer it, it has a, a sliding built-on tarp system. And you you once you close that uh, tarp system, it almost looks like a van, a, a vinyl-sided and topped van. Um, mm-hmm. But underneath all that there is a flatbed or a step deck there that they've secured that too. So basically all your securement is the same as a flatbed. And then you pull that across and now the load is basically tarped because it's mm-hmm. covered now. And uh, there's a lot of guys that uh, if they have to do a lot of tarping for like every load they haul, um, that's a good, uh, a good investment to make for them. 
Uh, sometimes it'll cut them out of being able to haul any oversized stuff, but if they never do that anyway, what's the difference? Um, you know, and, and then you get that right. also, you get these, uh, oh, I call them covered wagons. They've got the uh, mm-hmm. side kit on the, around the, uh, around the flatbed and then it'll have an arched, uh, tarp, uh, top on it. That's uh, a covered, a covered top. And a lot of times you see those guys, uh, hauling, uh, steel coils, things like that. That's uh, not real tall. Um, they can load their stuff right on that trailer and then roll that tarp thing over the top of it. And now it's the load secured and it saves them from having to climb up there and run traditional tarps all the time. So there's, uh, you know, those types of, of things are very, very similar to that open deck. And it's just those added features on the side of whatever trailer they're hauling. But as far as securement goes, it's basically going to be the same as your, your flatbed or step deck or what, uh, what have you there. All right. So uh, you are, you also have some experience with uh, dry bulk. So let's go over that real quick. Okay. Yeah, I had the opportunity to pull a pneumatic dry bulk uh, trailer for a couple years um, when I was a company driver. That's a very highly specialized part of this industry. Um, there's uh, several different types of trailers in the dry bulk industry. You're going to have your you know, you have hopper bottom trailers where they run a lot of grain. Uh, you'll have your, uh, oh, belly dump trailers. You have some end dumps. It's like a 48-foot dump truck uh, trailer, and the whole thing just tips up straight up. You see a lot of those in construction and things like that. But the the one that I pulled uh, and more most familiar with is the pneumatic dry bulk. It's a large tank trailer. It's got funnel, looks like funnels at the bottom of it. A lot of times they're I've seen them as much, a single pod, but a lot of times we pulled the ones we had were three and four pod trailers. So you've got about three, three or four funnels on the at the bottom of the trailer, comes down to a valve there. And what we do is we have a blower on the truck. So once you get the the trailer all loaded, you close the hatches on the top. That trailer is airtight um, or designed to be as closely to airtight as possible. We uh, fire up a PTO off the truck, and it runs a blower, and we hook up a little three-inch hose onto that blower, and it blows air straight into the trailer. So now we start pressuring up that trailer with uh, with air. Once we got it up to, I don't know, 10, uh, we ran ours normally between 10 and 15 pounds of pressure, um, get it up to about there. Then we open up another valve, and we start an airflow going along the bottom pipe that connects all that those funnels all would drain into. I guess I should back up before we even start unloading this, we hook up a hose from the bottom of that discharge line to whatever receptacle that we're putting it in, whether it be a, uh, a, a sand master or some type of a, of a sand silo for frac sand, or whether it be a silo at a, um, some type of a business, whatever we're put, going to put that into, we're going to blow this product into it. And so uh, once we get that pr- thing pressured up and we get a nice good airflow flowing uh, through that main discharge pipe, then we can start opening the valve on one of those pods and it starts dropping that product into that airstream. And using that airstream, it conveys that product from the trailer all the way into whatever we're putting it into, some type of a silo or, or a bin of, or whatever whatever it is. So that one uh, takes a little bit of training, takes a little bit of uh, 
stand on top of it. You got some gauges to watch, different pressures in your line, and different pressures in your uh, the tank itself. And uh, the ones we pulled most of the time, you know, you're running about 45 minutes to unload a trailer, uh, unless we had to blow it a long way through a long pipe. Um, it, you know, I've had to sit there for as, as much as two and a half hours unloading one trailer because it just unloads very, very slow or slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, moving that product so but that was uh, that was dry bulk stuff we hauled anything that's in a granulated or powder form uh i've hauled a frac sand i've hauled gypsum i've hauled uh cement uh corn uh you know we load that up in there i've hauled flour uh uh non-food grade uh flour uh, I know there are segments of the industry that do haul food grade products of that. Uh, the corn we hauled was mostly for cattle feed, um, so we could put that in in the same trailer we just had sand in, things like that. Um, worked out mm-hmm. real nice. I it's uh, definitely an interesting industry. It's uh, fairly uh, specialized, um, but I enjoyed it too. There's not very many jobs I've done well, that I didn't enjoy, so. <laughs> well, you're you're a very hard person to get along with, Jason. I can just tell. Uh, I know. I, I'm just terrible. Yeah. Now, do you know? Do they hire inexperienced drivers, or they would they prefer some experience? Um, the company that I went with wanted a little bit of experience in just uh, in handling a tractor trailer rig, so that you had some driving experience. As far as being able to unload that product, uh, they will train you on that. Um, I'm sure there are parts of the industry that will train you uh, straight out of school to do that. I'm not specifically familiar with them. You'd have to go on your new website you found and see if there's uh, some in there. Uh, I think the company that I was working for at the time uh, required a little bit of experience driving. Uh, But as far as, you know, then they train you to do all the rest of the stuff. When you get into the specialized fields, a lot of times that's the case anyway. Yes, I was looking on the website, like I said earlier, and most of the specialized stuff, like dry bulk, uh, they want you to have some experience, but they will train you on the actual job. So, all right, yep. thank you very much, Jason, for all that. We appreciate thank you. it, and we'll talk to you later. Okay, uh, this show is taking a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. We're probably going to go over. I don't know, but we'll see. But we're getting a lot of good information out. So uh, let's go ahead and jump over to Kenny in Florida. Actually, uh, let me introduce him by his last name. This is Kenny Long from Trucking with Authority. Give a shameless plug for your show there, Kenny. How's it going? Fantastic, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, You know, every segment, as I've been listening to this, you know, when Russ was on, he said the the dry van is the, the easiest segment. And I suppose if you're doing warehouse to warehouse stuff, which is, what most people think of with dry van, that would be the easiest. And I suppose with uh, platform work or open deck work, uh, flatbed, step deck, if you're just doing standard type loads, that's fairly simple and common. But with every individual segment, you know, with van, you can get into doing LTL and lift gate work. You could do more uh, specialized work. Even hazmat could be considered specialized as something you would do in a van, uh, you know, heated vans, temperature controlled vans. Uh, had wrap logistics work in a van and the more work you put into it the more you get out of it and of course the better it pays so Mm -hmm. while van is relatively simple 
the more specialized you're willing to get as a driver and the more effort you're willing to put in. If you don't want to just be the steering wheel holder and let the forklift load it, if you get in there and, you, and you're willing to do the multiple stops and drops and help with the loading, unloading, strapping stuff in, pad wrap, that type of stuff pays a lot better as you go. And again, with step deck and open deck, just as Jason kind of mentioned on it, that gets more and more specialized as well. And then what I wanted to talk about was probably the most extreme with the platform open deck work, which is heavy haul work. So heavy haul is definitely going to take the most time and effort and a lot more work on the side of the driver to handle it. And the equipment will be a lot more specialized as well. So I did heavy haul. It's been, uh, it's been over 10 years ago now since I was into it. But when you start talking about heavy haul, you're not just talking about heavy weights. You're also talking about oversized, overdimensional, too high, too tall, that type of work. So it gets into a lot more technical uh, information about the load. And that's why it pays so much better to the driver because it's not just trying to drive the load down the road. It's you have to know specific routes. You have to know weight limits. You have to know dimension limits. Uh, class A, Class B roads, you have to know all of these specifics, even to the point that you have to know bridge heights along your road, and beyond that, you have to know the utility lines, you need to know guardrails that are along your road, all of this stuff comes into play. So while a typical van or flatbed load you might pick up at the shipper and drive straight through to the receiver, uh, RGN or overweight, overdimensional load, that might take a lot more research. So you might actually run the route several times before you ever even haul the load. You'll do what you call a route survey. So you'll run the route, you'll check for possible road signs that are along the side of the route. Uh, a lot of times you'll have guardrails or K-rails, cement rails along the side of the freeways and so forth that might be too high for certain loads. So you might have to route around that. Or bridges that might be, they might be Plenty high enough for a standard load, or even 14, 15 feet high, which is much higher than necessary. And even if you have, for example, a 15 foot high load and there's a 15 foot high bridge, normally that would clear, but then you have to take into account that your trailer may be 100 feet long. And if there's a, an arch to that road, so if you have a, an overpass and the road bends underneath, a normal 53-foot trailer might clear that, but now your trailer is 100 feet long and there's that stretch, so your front axle and your rear axle might actually be higher, so now you have to take that into account as well. So as you can tell, there's a lot more research and, and uh, difficult planning that goes into these types of loads. And that's really where the money is. And that's, it's not so much driving it, because driving any truck is pretty, pretty similar. It's the research and know-how that goes into the Re the back office and the, I suppose you'd say, not so much the driving, but the behind the scenes work is where a lot of that effort comes in. So do you know, uh, can you get into this as an inexperienced driver? As difficult as I made it sound, this may be one of the easiest to get into as an inexperienced driver, to be completely honest. And I'll tell you why. A lot of the over-the-road type companies want uh, over-the-road experience, 
but a lot of this heavy haul type work is local work. And it may be something where you're home daily, but it'll still require, uh, it'll still require a lot of this experience or uh, know-how and effort on your part. And because of that, it, you'll find it a lot around the port. So you'll have, for example, uh, some extreme machinery comes in for, at the ports. And you'll take it from the port and maybe take it to a warehouse where they may disassemble it or reassemble it and so forth to package it for the transfer by truck across the country or by rail even. So they may be able to put it on the rail where it doesn't go by truck for far. But a lot of this oversized work is relatively local. And because of that, it's some of the more local and smaller companies can hire you without a lot of experience. So it is something that you could get into off the bat. But be aware that a lot of it is going to be tedious and difficult work. It'll be one of the most difficult segments of the industry to be in. Right. But if you like challenges and different stuff every day, it's the kind of thing that you would want to get into, right? Absolutely. Um, But don't get into it thinking that uh, just because it pays better, it's just a, a cakewalk job and you get to cash the paycheck and it'll be just like every other job out here. It's definitely, you will earn your money doing this job, doing RGN or oversized, over, overweight work. And to expand on that even further, if you do something wrong, the fines and penalties are exponential. Uh, you know, if you go over a lightweight bridge and you're overweight by mistake, the fines could, I mean, it, it could, uh, I've seen fines that are more than most people make in a year for one small mistake. So it's, uh, huh. it's definitely a lot riskier. And then there's also other, other uh, to elaborate slightly a little bit on it, I know I don't want to take up all your time, but there's a lot of things that you have to learn about as you go. Now, every single state is different. So I can't give you blanket statements about anything, really. Now, everybody knows it, once you get started in the industry, maybe in, in a van, the typical weights are 12,000 on the steers, 34 on each set of tandems. The actual allowable weights are 20,000 on the steers. So you could have up to 20,000 pounds on the steers, 34 on the tandems. And then once you get into multiple axles, maybe a tridum or more, 54,000 on the tridum is pretty common nationwide. Once you get into doing uh, overweight, overdimensional work, you might get into having 11 axles, 13 axles, and every state breaks down how much each each axle has to weigh, how far the axles have to be spaced for the equipment, Uh, things like flashing lights and signs. Now, for example, there may be some drivers out there that are driving a truck that is set up to, this is good to know, set up to do heavy haul, and it has the strobe lights on it. It has the flashing lights. In certain states, those lights have to be not only turned off but actually covered when you're not using them because they're, you could be fined and ticketed just for that. So all the little hmm. things like that have to be taken into account as well. Oh, excellent. I mean, I just learned something I didn't know. I mean, I, don't, I know almost nothing about heavy haul, but the fact that you can get into it as, as a brand-new driver with a new CDL, I mean, that's awesome. Yes, and typically the way that uh, people get into that with a new CDL is they become uh, equipment operators first. So maybe hauling bulldozers and things like that to and from a job site. They're, they're uh, 
ultimate job might be to run the bulldozer on the job site, but the company will require them to have a CDL to actually transport the equipment to and from the job. So that's typically how people get into that as a new driver, and it certainly uh, gives you a lot more skills and that's uh, more useful skills as well. Awesome. You want to give your show a quick plug before I let you go? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I'll plug a couple of things here. The Trucking with Authority podcast, uh, we record on Tuesday uh, at 7 o'clock. I'm live, and I help from taking it just a little beyond this show. We go up into getting your own authority and running under your own MC number, all the rules, regulations, record keeping, all of that and so forth. I'm also, I was actually recording today, I'm going to start a YouTube channel, kind of a spinoff of the podcast, so I can help show people what I try to explain on the air. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll be able to roll that out as well. So you can find uh, the Trucking with Authority podcast at letstruck.com. Click the link to the audio road, and I'll be listed right there next to you guys. All right. Thank you very much, Kenny. I'll be listening to your show. Thanks a lot, Melissa. All right. Uh, that was Kenny Long, everybody. He's got a great show. Go check it out. Even if you're brand new, he's still got a lot of good topics and information. Okay, so we're going to jump over to Herschel. Herschel uh, drives intermodal. He's going to educate everybody a little bit on that. Hi, Herschel. How's it going? All right. Melissa, you hear me okay? I can hear you great. Okay. Intermodal. If there was a facet of the industry that was totally different than anything else, this would be it. Um, new people, I know you talk about drive-in, that's simply a box trailer. Everybody thinks when they see a, a container, an intermodal container, that it's pretty much the same, but it's not. The box that the freight goes into is actually separate. And it literally is a steel box. It's separate. And the wheels underneath, we call those a chassis. They're little twist locks on each corner, kind of an oblong rectangular twist lock that allow that chassis and container to stay together. That's what they stay together with. So it is a two-piece trailer. You really, really have to do extra stuff when it comes to intermodal. Every pre-trip should include checking lights, looking for your federal inspection on the trailer to make sure that it's okay. Tires are unbelievably important on a container because the container tires, sadly enough, are still back in the 1960s. They are still bias ply. They are not radial. There is a tube in them, and the wheel is a two-piece wheel. So they're really, really old and you really got to watch the tires, you got to watch the lights, because those containers also are spring ride. There are no air ride, very, very few. They actually will bounce so hard when you're empty that the trailer will leave the ground. It'll skip. You can watch it in the mirror. It'll bounce and skip off the ground. When it does that, first thing that happens, all your lights will come unplugged. Brake lights, the turn signal lights, different ones on the back, they'll come unplugged on you. I've had it happen. And next thing you know, if it's a rainy day, you've got your lights on. Here come the disco lights, and the DOT cop wants to pull you over and check you out because you have lights that aren't working. And you simply go back to the back, and they'll be unplugged. And that's all it is. I had this happen one day, and I told the officer, I said, sir, just 
Let me show you. They're unplugged. I'm empty. I guarantee they're just unplugged. They really were working when I left. And that was the case. And they were unplugged. I plugged it back in. The light worked fine. But it didn't matter. He still gave me the citation because they were inoperable at the time of the stop. So you really have to watch lights and tires and federal inspection way more than you do a regular trailer just because these things are so old. Not long ago, I picked up the chassis at the railroad, and literally, I look at the date stamp. It was made before I was born. I was born in 1966. It was before that. It was older than me, the chassis. Now, it had been reconditioned two or three times and was in reasonably good shape, really. It, that's how old these things can be. So you really have to watch them more than you do a regular trailer, for sure. <clears throat> As far as a new so guy if, getting into it, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, that's the question I was going to ask you. Go ahead. Yeah, as far as a new guy getting into it, the companies that are around Columbus, Ohio, which is a city that I pull them out of, most of them want to see that two years' worth of experience in some form of truck driving. They're not really picky about it being intermodal, just some kind of experience. Some companies will take you at one year. But the lion's share high percentage is owner-operator when you see these intermodal containers. And your big companies, J.B. Hunt, Schneider, your big companies like that, they do have a lot of company guys. But your little, small overseas containers, and your overseas containers are the 20-foot, 45, and 40-foot. The 53-foot containers that you see, those are all what they call domestic. They stay in the United States. They don't go overseas. That's the difference there. But typically, all the small international containers, the 20, 40, and 45s, that is primarily owner-operator. A lot of owner-operators will hire guys to be a company driver and work for the owner-operator. Typically, what they do is the truck has a gross that it makes, uh, for instance, $2,500 for that week and you might have $1,000 out in diesel fuel, so at least $1,500 to the truck, and the guy that owns the truck will split that 50-50 with the man driving the truck or a woman, whichever the case may be, and then he gets half and the driver gets half. That's pretty normal for for intermodal owner-operators, how they pay. Okay, so the the big upside to intermodal um, would be that you normally would get home on a on a daily basis, correct? Yeah, when you're doing the international containers, yes. Uh, most of us do go home every day. I do. I drive in the neighborhood of 325 miles a day. I leave in the morning about 6 o'clock. I'm home between 3 and 5 p.m. every day. So there are companies, like I mentioned, Schneider, J.B. Hunt, those kind of guys, those intermodal outfits typically run more like an OTR. Yes, you are doing intermodal. You're going in and out of railroads. You're going in and out of uh, ports on the coast, whichever coast it is. And uh, those guys typically do stay out. But that's what they do, though. Everything is servicing either a railhead or a port, and it's direct to a customer out of the rail yard or the port. You get the trailer either loaded or unloaded, whichever applies, and then you take it back to where you got it from, 
and you get another one and keep on doing it. That's just how they operate. But the big companies, most of those guys stay out. Some of them don't, but most of them do. Okay, so that would be a goal to work towards uh, as you get more experience. If you want to be home daily, you could look into intermodal. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, I like it. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things you got to watch out for. These, these equipment is, uh, well, it's just kind of a challenge, really, because it's old stuff, and you got to really watch what you're doing. But, but it's not that hard. Um, Kenny mentioned hazmat. There's quite a bit of hazmat in intermodal. Most companies will pay between fifty dollars and one hundred and twenty in that neighborhood. Now that would be to the truck, to the person that owns the the truck. Extra just because you got hazmat. So you know, there's money to be made. There's money to be made through this year, uh, through the end of September, as we know, all of us doing profit gauges, we stay up to date. Um, I'm grossing a dollar twenty-five, which isn't major impressive, but. I'm netting 59 a mile, so it's not bad. Yeah. Typically, 1500 after fuel is a, is a good average, and that's not killing yourself. You can work way harder and make more, obviously, but that's kind of working right. like a regular job, 8 to 12 hours a day. Well, that sounds awesome. All right, thanks very much, Herschel. We appreciate the info. Thank you. Take care, Melissa. All right. Um, so intermodal, if you wanted to get into that as a new driver, uh, you wouldn't be able to go home every day. You could probably get a job with one of the big carriers and tell them you're interested in that, and, you know, they could have you doing that. But you would be over the road. But you could get the experience, and, and as you accrue the years, you can try to get into uh, a segment like Herschel is where you're home every day. So that would be something to look at if that's what you want to do. All right, so, uh, and he mentioned hazmat. Getting your hazmat endorsement is like putting money in the bank. As soon as you get your CDL, you need to get your hazmat endorsement. Because just about every segment of the industry has hazmat that they haul. So if you don't have it, you're leaving money on the table. Speaking of hazmat, here's a big segment that requires a lot of hazmat, uh, is tanker. We have Ace. He's going to come on and talk about tanker for us. Hi, Ace. How's it going? Hello. I'm going. It is doing good. Good. Can you hear me? So um, I can hear you great. Yeah, there's. So give us a quick uh, tank, summary of uh, tanker, real quick. Well, I mean, there's there's a couple of different facets of it. I mean, there's fuel, there's chemical, um, there's even milk that kind of falls under it. And milk's the only one that you know you wouldn't deal with. That would be more of a local type thing in most cases, and you wouldn't deal with hazmat, but. As far as fuel, even the oil-filled tanker stuff, a lot of it requires hazmat. Um, I'm, I've kind of done a lot of eat, a little bit of eat, almost everything with it. Mostly I've done chemical, and most of it's been over the road because I've done local and regional, but I just prefer the over the road. And, you know, we'll go into a chemical plant, maybe a small manufacturing facility, and we can – you know, drive cross country, drive 400 miles, and you may deliver to a paper mill, a wood mill, another chemical plant. You may deliver someplace that bottles engine oil. Almost, and we do a lot of uh, water treatment chemicals. So anybody that uses water in their process, regardless of what it may be, 
more than likely they need something to treat it with before they dispose of it. And we'll, we will deliver to places like that. And there's some really odd places we go, but um, most of the time when we load, the customer does the loading, but probably 60, 70% of the time we do the unloading. And there's two different ways we unload. Either way, it's going to involve carrying hoses off the truck and hooking them to the trailer and running them to wherever the customer wants you to connect the line to their fill line. Um, may use an air, and we have an extra air compressor on our truck, and we'll hook an air line to it. And what it'll do is it'll pressure up the trailer, and that air will force the product out. And as it empties, you know, it'll, it'll get a little bit faster, and eventually the air will hit, and you've got to shut everything down then so you don't get a big air bubble into their tank. Or you may have to use a pump, which is also on our truck, which means now you're running the hoses from the trailer to the truck, connect to the truck, and then you will run it, and then you'll have hoses going from the truck to the customer. And probably where most of the mistakes happen in this industry, in this part of the industry, with people having spills is with the pump, because you're having so many extra connections, and if those hoses have product in them, whenever you disconnect that line, there's a chance for product to be spilled on the ground or get on you. Because of that, we actually also wear a lot of extra clothes. Um, typically, you're going to have to wear some kind of footwear that is slip resistant, um, has a at least a six-inch heel on, top cuff on it because we're climbing up and down the trailer, we're stepping over stuff, and it's going to have to be either a safety toe or steel toe. You're going to wear long pants. Um, they do not consider warm-ups, long pants. So it'll be jeans or some kind of work clothes. Um, long sleeve shirt. You're going to have gloves on. You're going to have a, a hard hat, safety glasses, maybe even goggles. Possibly have, in, in a lot of places, require you to use a face shield. So you're definitely decked out as far as clothes. So if you're somebody that just, you know, wants to throw on the sandals and cruise down the highway, it definitely would not work. Um, but we'll run, you know, we typically don't go out west as much. Um, a lot of what's going out west now is sent on a intermodal type trailer that is similar to the intermodal you were just talking about, but it's a tank. And it's still, all the other stuff as far as unloading is the same, but what they've gotten to where is they send more of that out west like that because there's not as much freight coming back. So running, you know, I want to go to California once a month doesn't happen. We see basically the central U.S. and east all the time. Um, we go, you know, we hit a lot of major cities because that's where a lot of the plants are. We may deliver out in the middle of nowhere, but we end up primarily in any city area because once we unload... We can't just go grab another load. That trailer has to be washed, and it, you know you can't just take it anywhere. So we were dispatched to a tank wash, and you may drive a couple hundred miles to a tank wash. It may be down the street, maybe four or five hundred miles, and you'll go there. You'll get your hoses washed. If you use your pump, they'll wash it. Um, 
some of the smaller companies, you will wait on your trailer to get washed. Some of the larger companies, you may drop the trailer, pick up another one, and then go to your next load. But no matter what, that 99% of the time, that trailer has to be cleaned before it can be used again. So another um, uh, thing that I, I heard mentioned before you think about becoming a tanker driver, uh, they don't allow pets at most tanker companies? That is correct. And, and it's not so much just a company. Um, I work for a company that allows owner-operators and lease drivers to have pets, but in the pulling tanker, they do not because most of the places we go do not allow pets or passengers <laughs> under the age of 18. Because, you know, there's, it's not just because of the hazmat issue of us hauling a lot of hazmat. It's, we go into a chemical plant, some kind of refinery or someplace where there's a lot of chemicals and there's a lot of go, a lot going on. You have to be 18 to get through that guard shack. And they are strict on policies of no weapons. Um, of course, the usual, no drugs or alcohol. No Passengers at the age of 18, some places will not let a passenger without a CDL in the plant. Hmm. So pets and passengers are a little bit pickier because of the because of the places we go to. And uh, the carrier that you work for, do will they hire uh, students straight out of school to drive a tank? Yes, they will hire um, a brand new driver with no experience, and it's getting harder to find company and tanker that do that um, they'll hire you they have two different places that they train they'll send you there you'll go through an, if you got experience the, the orientation is shorter than a brand new driver brand new driver will be there for like two weeks and then they will send that person with a trainer and run in actual loads delivering to different places over the road or local for, for about two weeks and then there's a little bit more training just to prove that you can safely unload the trailer. You can safely pull the trailer. And then they will release you to get your truck. And then that actually kind of made me think of something else. Even driving the truck is a, is a lot different. Because I know most people, when they, they go to a truck driving school or someplace, you know, their, their uncle teaches them to drive a truck or something. They aren't used to what we have going on in the trailer. We basically... With a few exceptions, I mean, fuel trailers have baffles. We do not with chemical because of contamination. Same way with food grade, anything liquid like milk. That trailer is a what we call a smoothbore or shotgun. It is a big, long can with nothing in it to keep it from moving around. And our average load, in my, the average load I pick up is anywhere from 45,000 pounds to 46,000 pounds. And my... My tear weight, my empty weight's 33. So I've mm-hmm. got something that weighs more than me trying to dictate where I go and how I drive. Right. So learning to shift, you have to learn to time the liquid. Because if you shift at the wrong time, you may come to a dead stop in an intersection. So it takes a little bit of patience. Um, we take turns a little bit slower. We slow down a lot sooner. Because we're the whole time we're trying to keep that forty five thousand pounds under control with thirty three thousand pounds. Right. Okay, so since there's not that many carriers that will hire people straight out of school, do you mind if we mention the carrier that you work for? 
Oh, I do not mind. It's a Schneider. Okay. It's so, Schneider, but it's the Bolt Division. All right. So Schneider Bolt Division. If you're interested in being a tanker driver uh, and you're in school or getting ready to go to school, you want to check with Schneider because they're one of the few carriers that hire uh, brand new drivers. So anything else you want to add, no. uh, Ace, before we let you go? Um, somebody that, if anybody's considering, they have a little bit of experience. A lot of the other companies want a year experience. Some of them even want three years. Uh, some of the oil field companies will hire you without experience. Uh, fuel, a lot of fuel haulers, if you want to work local, fuel is usually one of the main ways people do that, and a lot of them require anywhere from a year to three years experience before they'll even talk to you. All right. Okay, thanks very much, Ace. We appreciate you. Thank you. Okay, uh, we have run out of time for the official timing of the show, but I have a couple of things uh, I want to hit real quick before I sign off. Uh, we had one more segment to cover, Reefer, um, but our caller dropped on that, so I'm just going to do the best I can. And then I, I have a comment about securement in a dry van. Harold, I am going to get to your comments, so just hang out for just a minute. But first, I want to talk about Reefer, and I'm going to have Jason help me out with that because he actually drove Reefer a little bit. Um, it's it, Jason, it's a lot like driving a van. It's just you know, you're dealing with temper, temperature-sensitive uh, materials, right? Yes. Uh, the stuff that I did when I – been a long time ago. I drove anything with a reefer. It was more local. Um, it was a uh, food service company that we hauled stuff to restaurants and schools and hospitals and nursing homes, that kind of stuff, delivering that. But we had to keep track of the reefer. They just kind of showed me how to set it and what you had to do. And, you know, it's – I don't know. It wasn't a whole lot different to me other than just making sure that it was turned on when it was supposed to. Every time I get out, you'd walk by there, just look at that screen, make sure that it was uh, on the right temperature, that that things were running right. With us being local, if we had issues, it was very – we were able very quickly to have someone there to help us or – or to uh, take care of it, you know, if a, if the trailer quit, wouldn't run, they could get another trailer out to us, uh, you know, transfer that stuff over pretty quick. I never drove it over the road, so I don't know what type of issues they would have uh, if something happened and they the uh, trailer wouldn't keep it cool or things like that. So I'm I'm not I'm not sure if I'm the the best one to talk to about this, but I have done well, it a little okay. bit. Yeah, you're all I got right now. Um, now, you did local <laughs> stuff, so did you have any issues with uh, long wait times? I've heard a lot about that. No, because what we did, uh, we, you know, I might pick up a trailer in the morning, and they would, you know, the our, our people would have loaded it already. Uh, so when I show up first thing in the morning, they give me a route. I might have 15 or 20 stops on there. You know, I show up to a, a restaurant here, and I might pull off 40 boxes or 40 items in some form or fashion. Of you know, so many out of the freezer section, so many out of the refrigerated section, and so many out of the dry goods section, and take those in. Uh, depending on how much stuff you had to take in, you know, you might be there. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a really big stop. You might be there 30 or 45 minutes getting it all unloaded with a with a two-wheeler hand cart. And then, uh, yep. you know, they sign the paperwork and you're good to go. 
So, it, you know, it wasn't quite as, uh, you know, it wasn't like they loaded the whole trailer with one product. You show up at a shipper and have to sit there and wait for them to get to uh, allow you to get to a door and then open the doors and back in and that kind of stuff. Um, so, we, you know, we were much more local and, and a lot smaller stuff. Yeah. You know, you yeah, have 15 just, or 20 stops today. It's kind of P&D work. Right. Yeah, I'm just going from what I've heard. Uh, I follow a couple of people on YouTube, and, you know, I've heard people talk about reefer. I've never done it myself. Uh, I know that with the grocery warehouses, with this over the road and maybe even regional, there tends to be long wait times. I've heard that. I've also heard that it pays more. So you get a little more per mile to deal with the, the weight. So that's something to consider if you want to get a reefer, if you're willing to sit in a dock. Uh, most companies have automatic detention. This is, these are things that you want to look into uh, before you pick a company. You want to, look, you want to make sure they pay detention automatically. Uh, they should have a higher rate per mile if you're going to drive a reefer, uh, stuff like that. That's the, that's the kind of stuff you want if you're looking into a reefer. And most companies that pull reefers will train you right out of school because usually it's the, it's the big carriers that, uh, that have the reefers. Uh, a lot of small carriers sure. do too, but most of the big carriers do have a reefer division. That sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that pretty much covers the reefer. Thank you, Jason. Uh, no. Okay. I cut him off a little bit there. Sorry about that. Uh, so we had one comment. We have Harold in Illinois. He wanted to talk about dry van securement. Hi, Harold. Yeah, hello. Yeah, I so you wanted to talk up, about dry, uh, dry van securement? Yeah, at one point I picked up three high-value coil loads out of the port of Baltimore, and I'm driving across Maryland. Yeah, and these guys supposedly blocked it all off like it was supposed to be. Now I'm going down a hill, also I feel a little bump, bump, and I was like, all right, I didn't think much of it. And all of a sudden, I look down at my airbag scale, and I'm like 50,000 pounds on my drives. Hmm. So I got to Breezewood, Pennsylvania, and they were looking for me to go back to the port. And I was like, there's no way. I said, those scales are open. They're going to kill me. Mm So, you know, they had to send a wrecker out. Pull the two, you know, pull the two coils back where they were supposed to be. I had to go to the lumber yard the next morning, you know, and get nails and two by fours and everything else so I could block it down myself. And you know, it was just the main thing is is don't ever leave any place without really checking your load because I, you know, just kind of half-assed looked at it and. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, I'm 56,000 pounds on my drives. Right, yeah. But, yeah, we covered yeah, that I'm, in our... I'm just saying, you know, even with driving, you know, when you're when you're pulling freight like that, yeah, just be careful. Yeah, I, I didn't really want to get into it too much on this episode because we did a whole episode on on load on dry van load securement. Uh, so you can go check that out if you want to. Um, but yeah, and anybody that 
wants to know about it, we did do an episode on, on securement, so go check it out. So anything else before I let you go? Well, no, but I, I thought that's what the show was about, and I was saying, you know what, you know, you really got to watch because, you know, sometimes these guys, you know, don't do the right thing, and next thing you know, I had three coils right on the nose of my trailer. Right. Yes, definitely check your load before you uh, leave the shipper for sure. Thanks very much, Harold. Uh, appreciate the info. Um, okay, so I'm going to close out the show here. Uh, there's a couple of segments that we didn't cover. Um, we didn't cover Conestogas, which is a lot like flatbed and open deck. It just limits you on the oversize. So there's that one. Car hauling, uh, day job, uh, household goods, straight trucks. All of these segments, they're specialized segments, and they do require experience before you get into them. Once you do have at least six months of over-the-road experience, some places even a year, uh, you can look into them, and they'll, they'll train you on the particular segment. But you do have to have over-the-road experience before you get into uh, those segments. So um, I think we may have one question on the line. Let me just check. I don't know if it was a mistake or not, but I don't want to hang up just in case. Uh, caller from the 949, did you have a question, or was that just an uh, accident? Uh, just a really quick comment on Reaper. Okay. I did okay. a Reaper for, for a, a, one of the big companies, and what I find okay. out is they have a higher uh, center of gravity. The, the Reaper unit weighs uh, about 2,000 pounds, and I once took one cord too fast and it wasn't really close so if you drive a, like you say the drive out a van and then you transfer mm-hmm. to reefer, be aware because if you if you take one curb like you do with the van it might be too much because that, that reefer unit weighs 2,000 pounds uh, that's, that's all I have great show, thank you all right Thank you very much. Appreciate that information. That's what the show is all about, uh, sharing information to educate everybody. So we appreciate everybody's information and all your help. We couldn't do the show without you. So we want to thank uh, everybody for listening. We record every Saturday at 8 p.m. To catch a live recording, call 319-527-6094. Remember to check out our Facebook page. You can like our page and ask a question there. Uh, Specifically with this episode, if you had any questions about the different segments, send them over to uh, um, the Trucking 101 on Audio Road Facebook page, and we'll try and get them answered. We have a large group of information to pull from, so we'll, we'll probably get your question answered. So um, if you are an experienced driver, please share our show and the Facebook page with new drivers and experienced drivers alike so we can get the word out. I have a pinned post on the top of the Trucking 101 on Audio Road Facebook page. You can go over there. That has the link to our podcast, and you can share it from there. It'll stay on the top of the page so you can find it easily. You can also reach us through Let's Truck at 855-800-FUEL or email support at letstruck.com. And I want to go ahead and tell you real quick about the other podcast on the Audio Road Network. Uh, 
tomorrow night, uh, but not tomorrow night because he canceled tomorrow night. But next week, he'll be back, Mike and Kevin Beckett with Rolling Toe. Tuesday at 7 p.m., we have Kenny Long with Trucking with Authority. Wednesday, also at 7 p.m., Rico Muhammad records Race and Lanes. And at 1 p.m. on Wednesday is Destination Health with Kim Cockerham and Kevin Rutherford. All times are Eastern. To be reminded about the podcast, text LISTEN to 99,000 in the U.S. and 76,000 in Canada. We would like to close the show with a quote from one of our favorite best-selling authors, Larry Wingett. Love what you do enough to become excellent at it. Otherwise, you don't. Good night, everyone. We hope you'll join us next week, Saturday at 8 p.m.